she works hard for the money so hard for it honey she works hard for the money so you better treat her right say it one more time Sid she works hard for the money so hard for it honey she works hard for the money so you better treat her right yes I know that's right okay <laughs> so today we are wrapping up part three of our money money series getting real coin with today's episode getting real coin part three negotiating for your life to help us discuss how we can leave no coin ducat dollar or wig unturned i have invited to the tea party a fabulous hr professional talent acquisition specialist dei advocate and all around bad chick Okay, my very dear friend and colleague, Miss Nicole Brittenreicher. Nicole, please tell the good people who you are and what you do. Hey, this is Nicole Brittenreicher, your human resources, talent acquisition, and diversity, equity, and inclusion perspective. I have been in the sports industry for 10 years and want to talk uh, talent and coins today. Yes, I am so glad we finally got my boo Nicole to the tea party. Yes, so today we're talking about negotiating your worth. So this is a three-part money series. So let's do a little recap for all those who maybe missed parts one or two. Um, We can just kind of review where we've been. And so the first episode in our money series was getting real coin part one saving for the future and so we sat down with a financial advisor to discuss how we can better leverage uh, 401ks and different investment techniques and different budgeting techniques to have more money in our pockets for the future then we sat down with a influencer and blogger for getting real coin part two side hustling real hard to discuss what we do or what we can do to make more money when investing budgeting it just ain't enough right because sometimes you got a full-time job you make in what you make and it's just not enough for you to hit your financial goals so we talked about side hustling and how she was able to successfully leverage her side hustle to not only make more money but also to pursue her dreams of interior design and professional coaching and then now has leveraged that into a full-time business of entrepreneurship where she's going to be able to quit her nine to five and just be an entrepreneur full-time So part three of this discussion is I have already saved all I can save and I don't want to side hustle, but I still need more coin. So today we are talking about getting real coin part three, negotiating your worth. Okay, so today Nicole is going to talk to us about how we can leverage our nine to fives to get more coin. So I want to level set here, especially because uh, Black Women's Equal Pay Day recently passed. So I think this is a perfect conversation to have um, about how we can improve ourselves and get more coin and get the coin that we deserve, because clearly uh, women are getting underpaid. So to level set here, I did a little research. Right. Because we, we got to have some some facts and statistics to set the ground for the conversation today. So to set the stage, I found some statistics from the U.S. Census Bureau about how much women are paid compared to men. So white non-Hispanic women are paid 79 cents um, on the dollar 
to white men. Black women are typically paid 63 cents on the dollar. Native American women are paid 60 cents on the dollar. Latina women, just 55 cents. And Asian American and Pacific Islander women are paid as little as 52 cents on the dollar as compared to white men. And so this conversation is super important because we need to close that pay gap and get even closer to what we deserve. So in your opinion, Nicole, why do you think women, especially women of color, are paid less than men? Yeah, this is such an interesting topic, particularly near and dear to our hearts as we resonate and align um, directly with these restrictions that we are walking in from day one of our career without even knowing it, right? And maybe we know it. However, it's without of our control is how it I how I'd more so present it. Um, quite frankly, I mean, at the end of the day, this transcends, um, you know, the now back to prior when women were not expected to work, where their place was at home in the, in the mindsets of men and all of the barriers put around us from a stereotypical standpoint. And from a female perspective, a Black woman perspective, I think it's really a chart of equality. I don't know if you've seen the, the graphic that really demonstrates um, exactly what you have described here from a sense perspective, right? Like the black woman, and we haven't even tied in sexuality here, right? So I always say to people, the only thing missing from me to make me like the least on the totem pole would be a sexuality piece and how I identified, right? Like I don't identify as a gay female, but if I did, we essentially are the least paid individuals on the planet to every other race, female, gender, sexuality, you name it. And um, really, it just comes down to worth and how people portray us, whether they know it or not, from a bias perspective, from an abilities perspective, um, as we also know, and you might even talk about this later on, Black women are the most educated class of people out there. So the question does not add up, right? For sure, for sure. Um, do you think that, and, and this is a professional opinion question, uh, you may not have the answer, but in your experience, do you think that some of the onus is on us? And I hate to victim blame, right? Because, you know, people should be out here doing the right thing. But I also think that we have a responsibility to hold people accountable and to ensure that they're doing the right thing. Because, you know, if, if we knew that everybody was going to do the right thing, we wouldn't have, have laws. We wouldn't have, you know, jail. Like, like, we wouldn't need all that stuff. We already know people aren't prone to doing the right thing, right? Yeah. And so what, as women can we do to hold people more accountable or in your experience, do you feel like women are less likely to hold accountable? And when I say hold accountable, I mean to negotiate, mm -hmm. to inquire mm -hmm. about their pay, to ask more questions. Um, in your professional experience, have you seen women be less likely to do that? Yeah, that is a great point. And you are hitting the nail on the head. So I wouldn't even call it victim blaming. I would call it just lack of knowledge to what our white male counterparts are doing, right? And it's about being in the know. And it's about having multiple conversations with your peers, with people inside the company, outside of the company, um, 
that look like you that don't look like you to truly know what they're doing when they come to the table. And that's one thing as black women, I think we have been left out of the circle, the conversation after the conversation, you know, the meeting before the meeting, the meeting after the meeting that sets what's going to happen in the actual meeting. We have not traditionally done that. And what I mean is talk about what other people are making in levels, um, share compensation salaries, ask what a friend, peer, or other industry professionals are doing when they come to the table on offers. And this transcends, right? Like some organizations are going to work within the confines of um, titling structures based on actual market share and equitable pay as most should, others or not. And that's just based on HR structures, um, how their company operates and traditional nature of maybe not uh, right-sizing individuals and paying fairly because no one's checking them to do so. So you need to ask those questions on the front end and work really hard to not leave a single dime on the table. And if that means going in aggressively because you know what somebody worth your experience, background, work is worth is making, whether in this company, in market, in roles, locally in your state or across the country, this is the work you should be doing on the front end because that's what they may or may not be doing internally. And you should have your case ready to say, I'm worth this. And also be willing to know what your bottom willingness mark in line is. If they are not willing to, to get to that, um, if they're offering below that, you have to sometimes walk away and understand your worth and be okay with that, knowing you are likely to obtain that somewhere else. Okay. So I have a, a couple of follow-up questions here. Let's, let's take it, let's take it back to the top. Okay. So at first you talked about us as women having these conversations or being party to these conversations, the, the meeting before the meeting, the meeting after the meeting. So let's say I'm not party to these conversations, but I need to ask my white male coworker what he's making so that I can have a better idea of what is fair and what would be equitable in terms of my pay increase or what have you. How do I even initiate that conversation? I just be like, hey, friend, how much yeah. money you make? Like, like, how does that conversation even go? Yeah. So <laughs> that's really tough with a, a peer and current employee. If they're not volunteering the information and if this is not like somebody who has volunteered similar personal details to you before, I actually would not recommend that. Um, and, and actually it's typically like when I say this against code of contact for code of conduct and paperwork you probably signed when you joined the organization. So don't get yourself tied up then. Um, <laughs> however, there are situations and instances where rumbles are shared, where you understand people are getting title bumps and role promotions around you. And sometimes it is clear that this person has now surpassed you, that this person, despite not having the tenure performance of you and organization is presiding over you or in inheriting responsibilities um, that should be yours. Okay. So there's so many different paths we could go through here. I typically advise the balancing act of obtaining information on where you should be around companies that look like yours, companies that have data, which quite frankly, these resources, whether it's LinkedIn, Glassdoor, 
Um, How reliable is Glassdoor? Because I have tried to use Glassdoor as a market indicator. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people, of course, will always, this isn't reliable. You know, like what, what are some good and reliable market indicators that we can use when word of mouth isn't right? Because I think that that's part of the problem too, right? Historically, we haven't had access to, to lots of things. And so we're going to need, I think, more external resources and objective resources than the word of mouth, because we already know that women have had less access to these conversations. And the reality is the marker that we are comparing ourselves to is white males. And so if I go to my white female colleague she's probably getting paid less too. Like she's not the person I need to ask to figure out what we all should be making. It's, it's the white male colleague that I probably have less connection and access to is the exact person I need to be having the conversation with. So knowing that, can you recommend some really good outside of like glass door where I definitely have seen employers wriggle out of a glass door analysis <laughs> for compensation, like any other, like in your professional experience, have you seen be really reliable? Yeah. And I'm trying to like pull receipts to give you exact names. There's so many out here, which is why they're like evading me, which doesn't even make sense right now. Um, if you're not those receipts girl. Yeah. Well, we might have to circle back and and drop these later if I can't, but the LinkedIn um, platform has salary information. So this is, you don't have to have special access. You can just go in and do salary comparisons off of roles and titles and type in your own personal experience. And it's going to give ranges based on the city you live in and how many years you've been doing the work on what you should be paid. And that's typically how most of the platforms work. CNN, the money platform is another one that I utilize when I'm working to move from one market to another. And you can correlate your cost of living changes into that too. So you can incorporate how much money you need to ask to not only get the promotion, but make that promotion be comparable to the new cost of living area that might be two times, three times, five times more than your existing location. So don't just look at that, that bump of 20, 30, $50,000 and think it's an automatic increase from where you are, which on paper it is, but you need to take the market considerations and what your peers with the same experience doing the same jobs are making. And that's why these particular platforms give you a gauge and you're using certified data. I agree with you on the Glassdoor piece, but there are some that are much more reliable. Um, And of course, I'm going to drop more as we recollect them, as we go through our conversations, because I don't want to just leave you with those two. Well, I can say too, from my experience in lawyering, I have found the National Association for Law Placement. I think Mm. it is NALP directory. They provide salary data for law firms across the country. And another resource for me, especially when I was earlier in my career, was career services. I reached out to my Mm. career services and I was like, hey, do you guys have any data or statistics about what is market in this area for this role? And they actually had a ton of data and statistics and sent me a bunch of receipts. So sometimes you have to be resourceful. Or if you have a friend like Nicole, you can call, hey girl, <laughs> you can you tell me what, you know? And so 
you know, you got, you got to be resourceful. And I think that playing the nine to five game is all about being bold, resourceful and scrappy because I mean, I'm not trying to get myself in trouble, but I'm that chick where I'm be like, Hey, what you getting? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, quite frankly, when it comes to like, Again, I'm going to leave y'all with the personal decisions on how you're talking to peers, right? And I think it depends on your level. And I also, again, this is why we should talk in our circles, talk to other teams, organizations, depending on your your industry, right? Like your relationships should transcend outside of your current company where you can have these these transparent chats because you don't know what you don't know, but you got to do your due diligence to find out. And you should never, ever just take the first offer that's been put in front of you, first and foremost. And again, having these conversations throughout the entire recruiting process where you should be setting the table of your expectations on the front end, be transparent and be real. And therefore there shouldn't be surprises on the back end and you should know your potential angles for more opportunity in the negotiation aspects. So we can make sure we are just getting closer and closer throughout the process to achieving what you desire and need to take a new position. Okay, so I want to get into some more strategic advice, right, in a little bit. But before that, I want to ask, have you ever failed to negotiate your worth? Because I can tell you that in the past, I have failed to negotiate my worth for fear of negotiating myself out of a job. Mm. And I know that many women probably feel the same level of anxiety. Like, I want to push, but how much is too hard? Like, I really want this position. Have you ever felt that? And so this is a two-parter. One, can you tell us about a time where maybe you failed to negotiate? And then the second is in your professional experience as HR recruiter, talent acquisition professional, have you ever seen an employer walk away from a candidate for a candidate negotiating too hard? What's a breaking point where an employer might actually say, yeah, we're not going to do this with you. Uh, We're good versus, you know, it just mainly being our fears and anxieties of being too scared to negotiate our worth. Absolutely. I'm going to start with um, your second question first and tied to the ask is the breaking point, right? And what I would tell you, it is extremely common to get to the end of a recruitment process and you ask for something that is so left field that the organization can't meet it. And if that has happened to you, I would tell you that was not a well-managed process as the setting the stage, the managing expectations. Well, from what's, a what's left field? Like, what does that mean? Like the salary posting said 50,000 and I asked for 200 or <laughs> they, they told like, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, like, or like, uh, they told me that, you know, I wouldn't have to move. And they came back and said, you gonna have to move. And I said, no, nah, yeah. I'm not moving. Like, like what is too outlandish? Because that's very vague. Like I'm trying to give the people some good, tangible advice. Like what can't I say mm-hmm. <laughs> in this negotiation? Quite frankly, I think it's all tied to professional persistence. And I use this in networking a lot, but what I mean exactly is you should know your number going in. Right. And by that, I'm talking minimums here. And if you desire more, let's say, I will not accept this job 
um, if it pays more than $100,000 base. That does not include my upside commission, my bonus, potential additional earnings based on outcomes or performance. I need this to live my life. And by that, we're talking needs here, right? We're talking absolute pay my bills. And then we are talking what I am worth tied to my experience, um, what I bring to the table, my upside abilities and uniqueness to an organization and leveling. So when you are in this process, the organization should also be testing if you are even within their realm of compensation based on the budget they have. Most organizations are going to have a range set and allocated directly tied to budget for a position that they're recruiting for and hiring for. If they're not asking that by the second conversation you have with them, I highly encourage you to ask what they are paying. And by that, obviously you can do it with a little more cooth and say what they're no, targeting. No, girl, say it just like that. <laughs> What y'all got? Sid <laughs> will say, well, what are you paying for this role? Let's do it in her first conversation. Yeah. Because these companies try to get real squarely about it, right? And then they, they'll ask you first, like, I don't know, you tell me what you got. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they want you to show your hand first. And I feel like that is so misleading because it can be difficult to have uh, external market numbers and no you know what I mean and, and regardless of what the external market is doing I don't know what y'all budget is why are you asking me what I want to make that may you're be dependent upon what you got you tell me what you got and I'll tell you right. if I want it <laughs> you're absolutely right when they're testing and trying to target if you're in the realm so for reference and everyone should know this it is illegal in most states and many states in which most organizations are steered away from asking straight out what a person is making. That is not allowed. You cannot inquire about a current compensation of somebody. You can ask them where they would like to be, what they are hoping to make. And thus you should never, if you are hoping to negotiate in the best possible sense, I would absolutely encourage you to do it in a vague manner as well. And you can outline specifically the type of compensation package you would like without narrowing in on that number. So when I say that, say, you know, I'm used to coming from an organization where I'm getting base salary and I have upside commission within my control. Am I going to have the same opportunity to perform and earn higher than the space that you are offering? What is the bonus potential? Is there opportunity for that to change? Or is that a set amount? Um, you know, if they're saying 10%, of your earnings are bonus, ask for if that could be 20%, 15%, right? Like there's meeting in the middle options within those ranges outside of even the base salary. So when it comes so what to are the base, those outlandish things, because we, to bring it back yeah, to the, so yeah, what, to bring it like, back to outlandish. Yes. So this is what I, this is what I'm kind of narrowing it on. When you give that wide range on the front end, they are either going to tell you right then and there if it's already too much or if you know it's within that range. So let's say you want go back to that 100 number you say, mm. and they're like, well, I only have 75 or 80. Are you, is that too much or too little for you? You need to be willing to stand up and say, yes, it is and walk, or maybe you already inflated what you are making or inflated what you desire. And then you decide well, it doesn't completely knock me out of the situation. And you can stay within the conversation to determine if more of what you hear does allow you to align with that amount. 
So would I encourage you to put a buffer and never um, out the gate, say exactly the number that you would settle for? Absolutely, because then you do show all of your hands in that minimum number that you are going after, right? Or your minimum number that you would expect. However, all of this should be tied back to what you've already found online and what you know you are worth and should be paid. Yeah, I so I guess it just comes down to are you willing to walk away? And that's a that's a really difficult um position to be in, especially if you get all the way down to the end of the the process, you know, where you're having a negotiation on salary. It can be difficult to 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 walk away or to to say, "Oh, this isn't enough." It's it's difficult setting that standard and saying like this is it, especially because usually if you're applying for a job, it's because you're trying to get out the old job, right? Like, right. you know what I mean? It's because you need a job. Absolutely. <laughs> Generally, you ain't applying for a job just for kicks and giggles. You're applying because you either need a job because you don't have one or you're trying to get away from the old job. So it's like tough when you're feeling discomfort in your current situation. And that is something that I have had to learn is to distinguish between being in a place that is uncomfortable and being in a place that is harming me. Right. Mm. And so I may be uncomfortable where I'm sitting, wherever that may be. Right. In a, in a particular job, a particular organization, I might be uncomfortable, but I may not be doing my future career any harm by sitting in this seat for two, three, four more years to come. Right. Like there just may be some external factors at the job that I, I may not like, but. I'm not right. I'm not harming my future earning potential. Like there are some positions that you can sit in where and this happens sometimes in the legal profession. And so I always go back to that. Say I'm a new law school grad and I couldn't find a job anywhere. And so I took a position as a paralegal and I only had a plan to be here for a year so that I could, you know, have some money coming in until I could find something else. It is hurting me if I am a barred licensed attorney sitting in the seat of a paralegal for five years, right? Like I can't do that in order to move my my career forward, right? Like there are going to be questions like, did this person pass the bar? Are they qualified or competent? If you're a lawyer, why are you, you know, working as a paralegal for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years, right? Like that is a situation where it has moved beyond discomfort and it could potentially be harmful, right? But if you're in a position where you have a, a reasonable salary, you're able to pay your bills, you have a reasonable time even if you don't like what you're doing from the outside looking in, you look all right, you look like you're doing what something that you're supposed to be doing because nobody really knows what you're doing except you. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, that's just a position of discomfort, but it's not harming you from sitting in that seat. And so as you're having these discussions and negotiations about salary, like you, I think it's really important to evaluate discomfort versus harm because if you're in the harmful situation you may have to take another job that's a little bit less desirable in terms of compensation in order to be strategic about your growth right like maybe it's giving you something else like the title maybe it's giving you something else like the work duties and responsibilities that you need to progress in your career you know and so i think it's really important to be able to distinguish between those two things so that you can make an informed decision about what you can and can't walk away from in the negotiation process. And, and I know for myself, I've had to take many steps back, <laughs> many jobs that I felt like I was more than qualified for, but it was a strategic step forward. 
to, you yeah. know what I mean? To, to move myself forward. And so sometimes the benefits aren't always financial. And so have you ever been in a situation where I know you navigated around this question, but we coming back to it, girl, have you ever been in a situation where maybe you didn't feel comfortable negotiating your worth or have you always just been BBHM? (laughs) So I don't, I think it goes back to not, not feeling comfortable, but not knowing too. So I would circle back to early in my career when I wasn't asking the right questions and I was just excited to get that job, right? And thrilled and I didn't know any different or better and wasn't asking advice of others and, you know, just excited to get a job in sports. So accepted what was put in front of me the first time, nor didn't ask questions on all the alternatives. When I tell you now, and Sid, you you know this because you are my legal go-to on question side to this, like all the things that could possibly be an avenue for more an opportunity to receive is what I'm doing now. However, it's because I weigh into other professionals and peers, Um, who have had their own negotiation experiences, who are other HR professionals and have taught me inside on things to ask for. And now I know, and we can take that side note to come back to things to potentially ask in a negotiation that might not initially come to mind. We can talk about that in a minute. I do have regrets on certain numbers or not asking for everything or asking for things that I feel will be too much, right? So that has happened to me in the past or that number, like you said, if you really want a job, you're afraid of pricing yourself out. And there's a reasonable nature. If an organization wants you and if it's a good company or boss or hiring manager, they're not gonna let you walk out the door by an outlandish number they're going to say, this is what we can do. Is that reasonable for you? And then you will still have a decision to choose if it is or not. So that's when you have to decide personal nature on what's best for you, where you're coming from and keeping it real off front. Like I need at least a minimum 20% increase coming into this role. And then you're giving them an idea of where you're coming from, right? Or you're not, and you're saying, I want a 20% increase and you give them a number based on what you say you're coming from. So there are obviously tactics that people and men are out here using and doing left and right. And there's no reason that we should hold ourselves back to receiving and obtaining more because it's happening all around us. Look, I'm going to give y'all a legal term for that. It's called puffery. (laughs) (laughs) In the negotiation process, right? You're like, okay, maybe I'm only making 50, but I'm going to tell them I'm making 70. Yeah. So then and then I tell them I need 20% above that. And so, oh, you know, it's a tactic. It's a negotiation yeah. tactic. And the point of this entire exercise is to ensure that when we are having conversations about new jobs we're receiving, bonuses we should be receiving, promotions we should be receiving, raises we should be receiving, that we are using all the tools and resources at our disposal to get the most desirable package that we can get. Like that's the whole point of this. And so to kind of end and come to the end of our conversation, what better place to end than advice? I want to give the people some good, tangible advice 
about how to go about this, because as we talked about earlier about how to initiate conversations, you know, with a coworker, it's one thing to say, oh, you should be doing this self-analysis, you know, self-market analysis and collecting all this data by having all these conversations. But that's that's not realistic for, for a lot of people. And, and they probably wouldn't even know how to initiate the conversation. And so I think it's important to give real tangible information. So question. How much higher than the offered salary should we be asking for when negotiations for a new job or role? So I'll give you an example. Like if a company offers me 50, what should I assume they reasonably actually have in the budget for me? And what should I be asking for? Well, how much more do you want is what I would say. So that, <laughs> I mean, I want a million, but we Correct. are getting a million, right? So what, what I want is inconsequential. And I hate when people ask that. What I want is inconsequential because yeah. what I'm willing to accept may be closer than what you think based on how badly I, I want this opportunity or how fringe benefits may factor mm-hmm. in that may mm-hmm. make this a more feasible situation for me. And so don't worry about what I want. Let, let, <laughs> what y'all got right that's Absolutely. what I want to know and so that's yeah. why I asked you here today because you got the inside yeah. HR knowledge if they telling me 50 what they got for real yeah. what should I be asking for they really so, got 80 you're gonna hate this answer but it really <laughs> depends on the level and role and when I say that somebody coming in at a you know let's be keep it real like a 50 grand salary is going to be in an entry level role maybe mid maybe mid depending on the organization and the experience thus the flexibility in that compensation they're not going to double that right like you they're not going to get you to 100 however let's say you are trying to land at um another you really want to make 60 okay you need to be asking you know twice that amount for them to double back and really negotiate into. So, you know, always ask for higher, probably about um, 10 to 20% higher than where you actually desire to land. Because when they say, well, I can't do 75, but I can do 60, then you'll be so happy with where you land, right? What and if the they other- say we can't do 75, but we'll do 55, then where do we go? <laughs> yeah. Do you say 75 again? Or do you say 65 and hope they come back to 60? Like, yeah. How how does that play out? Yeah. Then you likely, they might have another five grand to give. Having them add another 10 grand on, like most company, I can't speak for most companies. If they're nickel and diming you in this process, right? If they want you as a candidate, like, they should meet you where you're at. And they're, they're not likely to come back more than twice in the negotiation. Right. And typically after a single time with the money and salary, they're going to say that's the final offer. So if you ask for 75 and they come back with 55, if you try to land, you know, at 60, they're probably not going to hinge again, unfortunately. It's just on the number side of that. That's when you start asking for additional things. Well, if you can't make me here from a salary standpoint, and I know it's not the same, can you supply a sign-on bonus? Um, What does the relocation package look like? Okay, I'd like to look into my continuing education. Can you give me a budget of five grand per year to attend conferences, have subscriptions to your local 
I don't know, news media markets who are lending information and access virtually or in person, different ways for you to continue to feel that value that might not come in a traditionalist salary perspective. I mean, we're talking transportation, we're talking stipends to take care of that toll tag on your way to work. Some organizations, if you are driving a lot for in-person meetings, how are they covering your car or gas? Um, All things that I mean, cell phone, right? Some things are given, some are not. And when we get to deeper aspects and more senior roles, people are out here. Hold on. So all of those fringe benefits that you just described, transportation, cell phone, publication subscriptions, travel to different conferences, continuing education allotments, all of those are potential fringe benefits that even entry-level employees should be negotiating for. Absolutely. There's no reason you need to wait to obtain these things. And hopefully, you know, it's already some of those things are either one provided, not always. I've seen very cookie cutter, straight salary roles. They're out there, right? Like a a lot of us have them. Or you can have your boss, whether that's actually worked into your offer letter, they commit to allowing you to do that throughout the year. And it just comes out of the department budget, right? Like, you know, and then you hold them accountable and they will, should remember, but you're circling back throughout the year, year over year to obtain that access as well. So there's no reason why anyone should not be asking for those things, even if you get your salary um, desires as well. Mm. So one last question, what are some red flags that we should be looking for from companies? Like if a company does X girlfriend, you probably need to go ahead and walk away. This is not going to be a good situation for you because I have twofold feelings on red flags. One, Hmm. because as a, a woman, as black women, I feel like most work environments are not going to be friendly to us, period. But I don't think that we should allow the behaviors of a small subset of people dictate where we do and don't go, right? Because if you look at a company's red flags or even at your current role, potentially, and you see these people may not be treating you the best, Of course, you don't want to stay somewhere where you don't feel valued. But at the same time, if staying there is beneficial for you in your career, you are getting things that you need from your actual job duties and responsibilities, even if what you need is just sitting in that seat for three years so you can move on to the next job, right? I feel like it's important for us not to feel like we're being chased out, right? Like I'm sitting here, I'm taking up space. I may be uncomfortable, but I refuse to let the red flags, to let the foolishness chase me out of getting an opportunity that I need to get to where I'm going. So Mm -hmm. I want you to share the red flags, but I'm here to tell the people like, I need for everybody to be clear on where they're going and what their strategy is. Cause what we will not do is be chased up out of nowhere for no reason, right? Like we need to be leaving on our own terms because it's what's best for us and our families. We need to be entering places on our own terms because it's what's best for our families and not allowing these places to have so much control over where we do and don't go. 
So I think there's a couple of things and it ties down to like truly looking in the mirror and to your point, charting the path of career goals and desires. And then also really taking a look at if where you currently are is helping you get to get there. And that even ties. And then (laughs) are you willing to pull to deal with your surroundings and the interactions and whatever environment that is undesirable or toxic or whatever, what have you for however much time to then get to that goal. Because what I can tell you is peace of mind, stress, when it starts really weighing on you, where you are not able to compartmentalize your day job from the rest of your life because it's transcending into making you unhappy elsewhere, it might be time to one, identify why, and two, if the why are things out of your control that you cannot change, tied to your actions, your performance, but more so the environment, the people around you, or just the organization in general, you got to ask if it's time to make a shift and if it's time to move, right? Like, Mental and physical well-being are tied together, and there are absolutely some instances where you need to pivot. Now, the red flags tied to, you know, current organization, prior organization, there's a lot of things. I mean, recruitment process, if they're not if they're not following through from the beginning of the conversation, if the story changes tied to the compensation, tied to the title, tied to the responsibilities before you even have the job, you should have some concerns. Mm. If you have the job and you are sitting in the same role position for three, four, five plus years, and we're not seeing more increases in compensation, if your responsibilities aren't shifting, if you're not growing and you're stagnant, you might want to take a review of, are you in the best place for you? And that doesn't always mean, right? Like a growth move isn't always up with title or even managing more people, but it could be more exposure, the projects put on, like the introduction to new things to organizationally introduce you to cross-departmental collaboration, all opportunities to help you grow inside of your organization, gain more skills to prepare you for new things. If none of that's happening, you might want to take a review of where you're at, but everybody is not the same. So I've learned that too. (laughs) Not everybody's trying to be the VP or the president or the SVP. So it just depends. Yeah. Some self-evaluation and, and I'll leave the people with this, right? So a, so what Nicole said first is that if you're trying to get a new job and they looking real shaky bakey, let that go. If your current job feeling real raggedy, also time to go. But I, as we stated at the beginning of the conversation and talked about women needing to be accountable for, or holding people accountable, excuse me, for uh, what they may or may not be providing Mm -hmm. them, um, I I think is, is the whole crux of the conversation is empowering women to have the courage to hold people accountable when they need to be held accountable, whether that be in applying for a new role or staying in your old one. And I can tell you that from my experience, the women that I have seen be most successful in their careers that I admire have pursued their goals, whether that be more money, whether that be higher title, whether that be more responsibility, whether that be entrepreneurship with a fierceness 
and a courage that is just unmatched, like zero apologies. Like this is what I want, period. And Mm -hmm. either we can do that or we can't. And so a lot of times I've also noticed that that makes people very uncomfortable. And I don't I don't know why, but it does. And so getting past that and then I tell people all the time, it's not my goal to make you comfortable. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Right. And so people have told me like, oh, maybe you should tone it down. Mm-mm. I'm saying what I need to say. I'm saying it respectfully. I'm saying it factually. I'm right. Like I'm, I'm presenting to you facts. There's nothing um, unreasonable in what yeah. I'm saying or not well reasoned in my thought process. And so the fact that me telling you I need X is making you uncomfortable is not my problem. That's your problem. And so I just want to empower other women to get really comfortable with owning their careers, owning their career paths, owning their career trajectories, and having the courage to walk into these conversations and say, I need X, no matter if it makes the other person feel uncomfortable or you feel uncomfortable. But the reality is people cannot help you get to where you're trying to get if they don't know what you need. If you're not vocal in your communication and and loud right and sometimes loud about it right the squeaky wheel gets the grease sometimes you got to be loud about it and you got to repeat it over and over and over again right and sometimes you may get on people's nerves but at the end of the day no one will ever be able to say to me ever they didn't know exactly what my goals were exactly what my expect we never having that conversation like not ever and so you know if we aren't able to meet in the middle I can say okay that's fine if you can't do that that's fine like I can now make an informed decision about what's best for me based on a real conversation that we've had and so I hope like I said from this conversation other women are able to take that away as well and these are points that you should be pressure testing with your current organization management boss constantly like that you are managing in a way your own career path and letting them know what you are seeking to achieve and that literally quite frankly could be I am hoping to be promoted on my next review session so please tell me what I need to do to achieve that and then you take notes what they say and then you chart your path and show them that you have in fact cross those things off your list, deliver that for the organization in such a stellar way that you're honing up your end of the bargain and they have no choice, but to then acknowledge, you know, your promotion, your more compensation. And this is not a a set it and leave it. This is absolute, like every one-on-one or your monthly conversations with your boss. Um, You are in fact, keeping it top of mind, staying in their ear because the squeaky real wheel thing is real. And whether it's warranted or not, our white male counterparts are out here doing it in formal settings and informal settings. I literally read an article one time that was like, men will say things like, oh yeah, when I'm promoted in December to the boss or to the VP and setting it in the ear. Takes yes. notes. Yes. <laughs> Takes exactly. notes. And that subtly helps them achieve that when the time comes to make those decisions year over year. So like, there's nothing that we should be holding back from. You should ask. And it's the tenacious nature of the consistency of pursuing those things and asking for more that's going to help you achieve it, right? And once you get the next bump, you find out how to get the next bump. Boom. 
just like that. And one last thing, my sister always tell, keep the receipts. Okay. So the next time somebody asks you why you need a promotion, you hand them a, an Excel spreadsheet of everything you've done since, since the last time we talked. Okay. Today I sorted the pencils, right? Put it all on there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> keep the receipts. Oh my gosh. This has been wonderful. Awesome conversation today. It was so wonderful having you join us so if people want to connect with you afterwards where can we find you or don't give the people your information <laughs> yeah I mean uh, yeah I mean we'll keep a business sense tied to the topic so I think LinkedIn is the, probably the best platform Perfect. Um, and you can just find me first name last name Nicole Brentranker Perfect. I love it. Thank you so much again. And thank you all out there for joining us for yet another fantastic conversation. I truly hope that after this conversation, somebody is sitting out there saying, let me go get some more coins. Let me start putting together my brag book, my Excel spreadsheet of everything I've done this year. So the next time I have a conversation with my boss, I can go in there and negotiate for every penny I'm worth. I hope the next time somebody out there is sitting in a job interview, they have the courage to say, I want more than what you're offering. How can we get this number a little bit higher? Right? I hope, but if not, at least you had a good time today. I hope that at the very least. So thank you guys again for joining us and tuning in. Thank you, Nicole, for sharing all your wonderful knowledge and expertise. And please join us again really soon for plenty of laughs, plenty of conversation, and of course, plenty of tea that's 100% sugar-free. Woo chow. Mm-hmm. What a show. We shared some good old tea today, didn't we, friend? Thank you for your presence. I truly enjoyed you at the tea party. And we appreciate you sipping on some sugar-free tea. With me, your host, Sid Mack. Until next time, be sure to connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Sugar Free Podcast or at Sugar Free Pod. You can also visit our website at www.sugarfreepodcast.com. See you again soon, friends. And be sure to keep the tea party going, a With plenty of tea that's 100% sugar-free. <laughs>